So every Sunday when I get up here, we do the same thing. We always start off. Josh prays, and then I give you an opportunity to pray. So think about this. Why do we do that? So I don't know what your conviction is about what we're doing right now, but my conviction is that this is the most important time of our week. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered together in my name, that I am there. So many times have I rushed into church and just come rushing in and it's been a whirlwind of a morning and just scattered. And I think that there's so many battles going on when we're coming into church that sometimes we get here and we're so wrapped up in all this other stuff, all the busyness that we just miss the fact that Jesus is right here with us and I don't hear from him. So let's do what we do religiously, and let's pray right now. So God, I just come right now, and this is your opportunity to pray. God, I open my heart and my mind to you, and I ask you to speak to me. Stir my affections for Jesus. Lord, speak right to my deepest need. You know what I need even more than I do. My desire this morning is to hear from you. Convict me of my sin. Reveal your glory to my heart. Draw me into you, O God. Lord, just... We come under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus right now. Every heart, every mind, every soul that's in this room is watching online, listening later, We come under the authority rule. Your your kingdom come, your will be done right here, right now, in this moment, on earth, as it is in heaven, as we seek your kingdom and your righteousness first, and we pray this in the authority of Jesus. Amen. So back to the book of Acts this morning. And here's where our text leads us. We always just go verse by verse by the text, through the text. And you know, see the interesting thing about just going verse by verse instead of me just picking out topics and cherry picking verses is that when we go verse by verse then we can't just preach, I can't preach according to my preferences and my, my theological trappings that I've always grown up in. I've got to face up to texts that I'm uncomfortable with and if it doesn't line up with, with my past theology then the Bible's right and my past theology is wrong. So sometimes we hit texts that are uncomfortable, and this morning we hit a text that's very well known, Ananias and Sapphira. Most of you, if you know much about your Bible, you know this story. I was so surprised this past week as I began studying this text. Many well-known pastors who preach verse by verse skipped this text. One of them that surprised me the most was Charles Spurgeon. Skipped it over and said, I'm not going to preach this one, because in it there is some some stuff that's hard for us to line up our New Testament theology with. And, you know, speaking of that, then what we're going to see here from the early church is that, and this is where it leads us, is that this first church, it was not so seeker-sensitive. <laughs> now, you know, so what is a seeker-sensitive model that we have today in our culture? Let me just give you an extreme. Okay, this is an extreme. In 2009, New Spring Church in South Carolina, they were running about... 
They're one of the largest churches in America at the time, one of the fastest growing churches. And they were a seeker-sensitive church. And what their desire was is for everybody to come to the church and to feel welcome. So they started off their, their Resurrection Sunday morning service. Their worship band got up, and the first song they did was Highway to Hell. What? Yes. That was their first song. And so later on, the pastor said, that, you know, he caught, he caught a lot of flack, as you can imagine. And he said, I really wish we'd have done a mashup and done you know, Highway to Hell and Hell's Bells. And so, you know, now, I have nothing to do with him, his church, and that's his business. That's what he wants to do. Then he can do that. You know, that's, that's, that's a whole different story. So that's an extreme. And now, so I went to um, gotquestions.org, and I looked up. This past week, should a church be a seeker-sensitive church? And now, let me read this, and let's talk about this for a moment. Here's what they said. This is kind of slanted, you'll see. The seeker-sensitive church tries to reach out to the unsaved person by making the church experience as comfortable, inviting, and non-threatening to him as possible. Sounds good to me. But then it goes on. I kind of skipped down and said, this is where it gets a little slanted. The focus of the seeker-sensitive church is not cross-centered, but man-centered, the main purpose of the seeker church's existence is to give people what they want to meet their felt needs. Now, hang on a second. Let's read a little more. Then it goes on. It says, the seeker-friendly gospel presentation is based on the ideal that if you, you will believe in Jesus, God will give you a better life, better relationships and purpose in life. So, for all intents and purposes, the seeker-sensitive movement is a type of system based on giving unbelievers what they want. What too often happens in such a system is that people make a profession of faith, but when the circumstances of their lives don't immediately change for their material good, they forsake Christ, believing he has failed them. Now, so I wanna tell you something. I have preached a man-centered gospel for years, I preached a man-centered gospel. My desire was to see the church grow, and I was all about people coming in. And, and man, listen, highly evangelical and people, you come in, and if you do this and you do that, then God's going to bless you and his favor is going to be on you. And it's like works, not based salvation, but works-based favor and blessings. I preached that for years. I'm guilty. So I'm not like looking at all these other preachers saying, man, you know, stay away from them. I'm saying, I've done this too. So, but, but here's our problem. If we're going to really get down and say, okay, I believe what the Bible says, then here's our problem. This man-centered gospel, I, I, there's a couple of things I don't have a category for. The first category I don't have is I don't have a category for the goodness of God in our suffering. Because if it's a man-centered gospel, then God doesn't want me to suffer. God doesn't want bad things to happen to me. God just wants everything to go easy and, and pain-free. And see, the Bible teaches quite the opposite of that. Sometimes the most loving thing God can do is to make us suffer, to crush us in this life because it crushes the selfishness and the pride and the arrogance and the religion right out of us and gets us to the point to where I, I don't think I'm going to live through this. Hey, listen, some of you looking around this room, some of you, man, you are young and beautiful and you're on top of your game and this is like that'll never happen to me but hear me this morning you live long enough 
in this world and there will be a morning you will wake up and you will say, oh, no, I can't face another day. And sometimes, as hard as that is for us to understand, that is the most loving thing God can do for us for our eternal good. Amen. The next thing I don't have, it doesn't, the man-centered gospel doesn't give me a category for the goodness of God in his wrath. Let me ask you something. You ever, if you go back and you read the theologians of old, they preached about sin and the wrath of God. The man-centered gospel, our culture is so, getting the filter going right now, are, are so tender that we can't handle a preacher preaching about sin. We can't handle the preacher talking about the wrath of God. So as a result, then I'm going to go to a church where we don't do that. The preacher's going to get up and preach on that kind of stuff, and that makes me very uncomfortable. I don't like that. So I was uh, listening to this past week. I was kind of thumbing through some YouTube videos, and I came across a church in Austin, and they were interviewing one of their members who is a Matthew McConaughey, interviewing him. And here's what Matthew McConaughey, I just kind of skipped through it, didn't listen to the whole thing, so just take this. Here's what he said. He said, all they did is took one little verse of Ecclesiastes, and he said, you know, when I, I got to Ecclesiastes, it was the only book that didn't make me feel guilty. Then he turned to his pastor, and he said, and this is the only church I went to that didn't make me feel guilty. So what we do is we, we sugarcoat it. We make it palatable. We make it easy. So everybody will feel comfortable. When I read my Bible, sometimes I don't feel comfortable. It undoes me. I mean, I come undone reading my Bible. So I mean, if I'm gonna be honest with God, and I mean, I hope that that's what we're doing here, and I'm gonna come in here before you, then I'm not gonna sugarcoat a message to make me and you feel better about ourselves. The Bible's not about you, it's not about me. It's about the glory of God. So I mean, it's like, I mean, God is for you, but God is for God before he's for you. It's his glory, because that's what's best for you, his glory, not your glory, not my glory. So there's God's holiness on this side, and I got sin's corruption on this side. So let's talk about this. What about, what about the wrath of God? So here's what you have to understand, is that what sin does is it corrupts the goodness of God in his creation. You are created in the image of God. So whenever sin's corruption, it incites an emotion. Understand this, this isn't a, an emotion like you and I have. See, when our wrath, man, it'll, it'll just come up. We'll, that's the way I can understand this. And every human illustration breaks down when we try to illustrate something of God. And this illustration breaks down, okay? Like all the rest do. So just hear me on this. So I have got five grandchildren. My youngest one is a little granddaughter, three years old. Her name is Macy. Just sweet. I know everybody, if you've got grandkids, your grandkids are wonderful too, I know. This, she is so sweet. Now, the youngest one, if she's at my house, it's me and her, and some man comes charging in our house, and he's going to harm her. It's going to incite wrath in me because of my love for Macy and because of my desire to protect her and love her. 
So you have to understand something. When we talk about the wrath of God being inside us, it's called sin is a danger, something that corrupts us, it's something that destroys us. His creation. So when you take out the wrath of God, I don't, I don't understand the love of God. I don't want to hear someone teach me about the love of God and then you take out the wrath of God because now I don't fully understand it. Now it's a conditional love, all based on my performance. So you want to not so seeker sensitive. What about Jesus? Was he seeker sensitive? Let's just look, let's look at what he says. So he just, he preaches John chapter six. He's saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. It's a sermon he's preaching to the crowd. And then it says, many of his, not the crowd, his disciples. Now, there's a difference between apostles and disciples. There's the 12 apostles, that means called out ones, and then there's disciples that kind of grew. There could be hundreds, there could be thousands of disciples at certain times. The people that were following him, and they were committed to him to a degree. So, Many of his disciples said, man, this is a very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? It's hurting my sensitivities. Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. Aren't you glad none do that today? So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think when you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven? And 11 of those apostles will see that. And they're going to see him ascend right before their eyes into heaven. And you can't turn to the person next to you and go, I don't think he's God. When he ascends into heaven, it's like, okay, you know, he died, he resurrected, now he's ascending into heaven. No doubt, now this is God. Here's a gospel right here, church, just in case you're wondering. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And if you will get that, that will free you. Because some of us were trying to accomplish the blessings and the favor of God by our performance. And it, look, Jesus, this, I mean, if you're like one of those people who says, I believe only in the red letters, this is the red letters. <laughs> Jesus said this. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. But some of you do not believe me, for Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him, of course, Judas Iscariot. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. There has to be the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit stirring in somebody's heart. So listen, you sit here today and you say, I am in Christ. Then here, you should be thankful today saying, thank God, at one point, some point in my life, the Holy Spirit began a work in drawing me to Jesus. And it's so interesting to me, you know, this is our Bible scholars that translated the Bible, they put the verses in. This is John 6, 60, so interesting to me, 666. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Called a thinning sermon. This is not a seeker-sensitive sermon. Now, what, good enough for you? I got another one for you. Don't assume, here's what Jesus said, dude, don't assume that I've come to bring peace on earth. There's not peace on earth that you live in right now. There's wars on earth. There'll be wars all the way to the very end. There's peace in your heart between you and God. I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Nobody on that day said, man, I want to be a part of this church. That's rough. That is hard. 
So, I mean, listen, my question, my question for you this morning is, is, I mean, do you believe that the Bible is the inerrant, authoritative word of God? Yes. Period, end of the story. Yes. Regardless of what I say, anybody else says, is that your conviction? Then if that's your conviction, then let's go verse by verse. Let's face head on what it says. And if it offends us, if it bothers us, if it co- we come undone the process, then thank God we need to come undone. Amen. Here we are, Acts chapter four, verse 36. And here's what's happening. The church has been persecuted on the outside. Persecution is coming from the religious leaders against the church. Peter's been thrown in prison. He's, been, he's released now. Now there's people that are coming in from the church and they're giving gifts to the church. The church is just seeing a massive growth because persecution purifies the church. I don't, I don't think some of you saw, okay, listen. Persecution purifies the church. A purified church is a powerful church. So Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, one of the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, and this is not the last time we'll read about Barnabas and we'll cover him and his story later on. He sold a field that he owned. He sold not all the fields, a field he owned. He brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Evidently what happens now is everybody, they're aware of this and they're like, wow, look at what Barnabas did. This is, this is great. And there was a little bit of a buzz, evidently, around all the people in the church to look at what Barnabas had done. And like, wow, that's really great. I almost titled this sermon, I, mean, I did first. I changed it. No super Christians allowed. That's what I had it titled at first. And I don't believe that Barnabas was trying to be a super Christian. I think he was just pure intentions, just wanted to give. But I think that it kind of got out of hand right here because then when I read about this, Anytime that, see, we've changed chapter and we see this little transitionary word right here. It's like the music's going along real good. The church is doing good. Three months, about three months here. The church at Jerusalem is killing it. And now the church is about to go bad. So, I mean, if you're coming here and you're new here at the Bridge Fellowship, or you're like, man, listen, they are killing it. Give us about three months and we'll show you. <laughs> but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However... He kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Mm. Now, here's what our man Ananias and his wife Sapphira, what they needed. They needed accountability partners. They needed somebody to say, hey, wait a second. Now, if you're going to sell your land and you're going to take that money and you're going to give it to the apostles, but you're only going to give part and you're gonna make it seem as if you gave it all, that is wrong, brother. Don't do that. Rethink this. Hey, listen. Our church culture, this, this to me is a little encouraging because it's not anything new that we want to make everybody believe that we have already arrived when we have not. And then hang on, hang on. If you're sitting here this morning or you're watching online or you're listening later and you think you've arrived, then let me bust your bubble and tell you you have not. You you don't arrive. None of us fully arrive in this life because you're still wrapped in the flesh. None of us get there. 
We're all in process. So if we're all in process, then I need an accountability partner that whenever I come along and I say, you know what? I'm gonna go out there and I'm going to, is that all the money? No, I mean, it's not all the money, but I wanna just, I want everybody to think I'm like Barnabas, that I'm a super Christian. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a church culture where we had Sunday morning church, we had Sunday night church, and we had Wednesday night church. And if you went to church on Sunday morning, you love God. No, wait, I'm sorry. If you went to church on Sunday morning, you love church. If you went to church on Sunday night, you love God. If you went to church on Wednesday night, you love Jesus. If you went Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and you held church office, then you were a Jesus-loving super-Christian. And that was our categories. And here's the thing. That's works. There's no works you can do on the outside that will make their way into your heart and transform your heart. But you're saved by grace. And when grace gets in your heart, it will change you from the inside out to your works. You got that? We, we, gotta, we gotta understand that. That has got to be deep in the DNA of us here today that we understand that, that my works don't make me right with God. See, some of you, you don't, when I say that accountability partner, you cringe a little bit on the inside because you don't like that terminology. Well, there's nothing I can do about that. That's, that's something personal inside of you, okay? But here's what I want to tell you. We shouldn't have an accountability partner. If that bothers you, then hey, yeah, you're right. We, don't have, we shouldn't have an accountability partner. We should have a few people that we are accountable with, that we live openly with, and that we tell everything with. Hey, so you know, my phone, when Melissa jokes with me, I'll talk about her a little bit since she's not here this morning. <laughs> we joke about this, and what, you know, like my phone, it's not my phone. She, she always laughs, she says, you know, what's mine's mine and what's yours is mine. <laughs> this is a joke, she says. And my phone, she gets, I mean, like, it's, she, you know, it's got that little passcode thing, you put your thumbprint on or whatever. It's on her too, I mean, it's her thumbprint. I'm like, I mean, when people, I'm driving down the road, just so you know, if I'm driving down the road, you send me a text message, Melissa will read it, and I'll tell her what to reply, and she'll edit it and reply it to you. <laughs> she sees everything. There's not, I mean, my, my computer is my phone. There's no secret, no private, there is nothing, and I work at telling her everything. I tell my daughter everything too. I mean, like, there's no, I, don't, I mean, so if I can tell my wife and my daughter everything, then I'm not going to have any problems telling my accountability partner, Patrick, everything, or Jeff, or Chuck, or Matt. And there's some people I got around me that, like, there's, there's some people that, like, I mean, I'm going to purposely tell them all my struggles. You expect me to be a super Christian? No. I don't expect you to either, or any of you. No, none of us are super Christians. We all need somebody to say, hey, listen, this is my struggle, and it'd be okay to be like, what's wrong with you? No, hey, man, listen. If you're gonna give the money, and you're not giving the whole thing, then walk in there to Peter and say, hey, Peter, listen, man, this isn't the whole thing. I wanted to be like Barnabas, but I'm just not there yet. What do you think Peter would have done? I think Peter would have been like, 
Man, we need to send you through another discipleship program. <laughs> so I, um, I think Parker left, so I'll talk about him too. <laughs> so I, I went out, Parker and I were going to meet this past week. That's our, that's our student director. We're going to meet. Now, think about this. Here I am, lead pastor, and you know, he's going to, most times they're going to want to try, you know, the, the, the student director is going to try to impress the lead pastor and all that kind of stuff. So we're out there, and we're, 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 we're going to go meet in a restaurant. We ended up fishing. We're out fishing. And I, I, I turned to Parker, and I asked him a question I know he can't answer. <laughs> and I love it because I asked Parker the question. It's a full setup, full-on setup. <laughs> and Parker says, I don't know. Amen. And I said, and that is what I love about you is that you're okay with saying, I don't know. And I said, I don't know either. (laughs) Man, come on, church, listen. Nobody's arrived. Nobody's got all the answers. It's okay to come up there and stand in front of Peter and say, Peter, man, I wanted to, but I just, I'm not there yet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? And that, I mean, looks like Peter takes him right to the root of the problem. The root of the problem is this, is that it's not that Peter, listen, Peter's not saying Ananias was demon-possessed. I believe that Ananias was a Christian. But he was influenced by Satan to give this answer, I mean, we look at this, we say, oh man, you mean that, you mean that Ananias was a hypocrite? Yeah. He was a hypocrite. He was, he was trying to be something, he was portraying himself to be something that he wasn't, and he was lying in the process. Wasn't it yours while you possessed it, and after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? So what Peter said, you could have done anything you wanted to with the money. No one's saying that everybody has to go sell their property and bring it to the church. No rule like that. Why is it that you plan this thing in your heart and you have not lied to people but to God? Oh, wait, wait, hang on, hang on. I thought he just lied to people. Wasn't he lying to people? And the people, but the people are the church and the church is the body of Christ and so when he lied to the church, he was lying to God. How many times you heard that sermon in church? I mean, we... We're like, oh, well, I just tell a little white lies. That's no big deal. How many of y'all told a lie before? Now, hold on my hand, too, because I have, too. You know what that means? It means we're liars. Oh, have you heard about the church, the First Baptist Church at Jerusalem? Heard about that church yet? No, what, tell me about it. Oh, well, hey, this dude came in and told a lie at the church, and he died. Let's go join that church. That's a church I want to be a part of. You mean if you tell a lie, you die? Let's all go join that one. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came over the whole, every, all who heard, I bet it did. And the young man got up, wrapped his body, and carried him out, and they buried him. And about three hours later, which that tells me that their church service was at least three hours long, <laughs> his wife came in. 
Must have taken her a little while longer to get her hair done and makeup on, came in not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, he said, uh, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Man, I thought lying was no big deal. Evidently it is. I think it's even one of the big 10 commandments, big 10. Kind of a big deal. Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Instantly she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came over the whole church. First time church is in the word ecclesia is in the book of Acts. The whole fear came over everybody and on all who heard these things. So many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They, they were all together in Solomon's colonnades. So, man, great things are happening. Man, the spirit is moving. And no one else dared join them. You mean after somebody tells a lie and they drop dead, nobody else wants to join that church? Imagine that. And all the great signs and wonders, man, the show is rolling and people don't want to join that? Do you know why? Because there was a holy, reverent fear of God. And nobody's going to play games anymore. The game plan just came to a screeching halt. Nobody is playing church. Nobody's going and joining this church because they will have a better political standing in the community. Nobody's joining the church now so their kids will grow up to be good kids that behave themselves. Nobody's joining the church now for anything that will make them have their best life now. You tell a lie, you die. Nobody wants to join that one except for the people who are serious very serious about life transformation taking place because how on earth can you live up to that and the question is you can't it is the power of God and his righteousness working through us now that may be disturbing to you because this is the not so seeker sensitive church but here's the interesting thing that happens but the people spoke well of them. They spoke well of them because they took sin seriously. So people are like, what? So, you know, we, 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 we jump around this text because we don't have a category for Ananias and Sapphira dying, dying, because not everybody who's a hypocrite dies in the church. And if that was the case, then every church would have to have a built-in Mortuary with a you know somebody on staff to take care of I me. Mean, it would be that would be bad. So not everybody's hypocrite dies in church. So what's a, how do we categorize this? Here's what I have to understand. Here's the way I understand it: is that Ananias and Sapphira, whenever they told that lie, they bumped up against the wrath of God. And when they bumped up against the wrath of God, it took them out. And when it took them out, God was setting a standard for his holiness in the church. And now everybody in the community says, hey, we're not playing this game. We're either all in or we're all out. And the people who came now, here's what it says, look at this. 
Believers were added to the Lord in increasing number. Now listen, he says in multitude, plethos right here, plethora right here, it's a, it's a word like, just can't even count. I mean, Luke to this point has been like, oh, it's 5,000, there's 3,000. Now he's like, man, there's a plethora of people now. We can't even, we can't even count them anymore. They're pouring in right now that are being added, that are having the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit, they're actually being born again, real solid conversions right here. Of both men and women, before he say 3,000 men, 5,000 men, now it's like, look, it's just, we, it's, un, it's just pouring in now. So let me ask you a question. Do you want me to get up here and sugarcoat it and try to make it easy and palatable? No. Or do you want to, let's just, face it head on and do our best to take it as we can by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, because I'm going to tell you something. I have no interest in building a name for David Yarbrough. Life has crushed that out of me. It's not there anymore. It was there at one time, but he got put to death. So I have no interest in building a name for myself. I have no interest in building a church because I can't do it. My interest is this, is to come and rightly divide the word of truth to you so you can learn how to go out and make disciples so you know the gospel so when you meet that person out there in your life and they need, and the Holy Spirit stirring in their heart and they need to know what the truth is, you can rightly divide the word of truth with them. You can share the gospel with them. Or if you meet someone who's been deceived by a false gospel, a prosperity gospel, you can say, hey, listen, that's not it. You don't have to perform. You don't have to measure up. Jesus is, the, you, can, you can do that. You'll be equipped to do that. Here's what Paul says in Romans 1, 16, 18. He said, for I am not ashamed of the euangelion, the gospel. Can I just tell you again? I, don't, I hope you don't get tired of hearing this because I don't get tired of telling you this. The euangelion, that's when the guy out in the battlefront, he gets the good news that we have won and he goes back to capital city and he tells the king and everybody else, we are victorious. So the euangelion means we are victorious. That Jesus has won the victory over sin, death, and the grave. So I'm not ashamed. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the euangelion, the good news, because it is the power, the dunamis of God, of theos. For ace right here is a Greek word. So four is not a good translation. It is the power of God into salvation. It's a better translation, because and that makes more sense to me, because into salvation, I'm saved in Christ Jesus position in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. So it's, it is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. When you start believing and through sanctification, your growth into more faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. For God's wrath, here it is, New Testament. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Did Ananias and Sapphira, did they suppress the truth? Well, partial truth. Let me tell you something, guys. Let me tell you something. 
And as I have grown and learned, like I'm, I haven't arrived and I don't have all, I'm not like a theologian to the, where I should be teaching theology in the seminary, but as I have grown and stuff, there were pastors that 10 years ago that I listened to that I love listening to that pastor. I mean, there's one that I told, if I told you his name right now, most of you in here would know him. He graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary. And I hear him preach sermons now and I'm like, oh brother, you just twisted that a little bit. And he twisted it just a little bit to build his church, to manipulate the people. And I can't listen anymore. To suppress the truth, the wrath of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That should be freeing to you this morning, by the way. You should not walk out of here and say, man, I just feel so guilty. You should walk out of here and be like, I just got set free. This isn't about me performing. This isn't about me being good. There's none good. Because here it is, they are justified. That means made right in God. Just in God's sight. Justified freely. (laughs) I'm really excited about that, by the way. That means I don't have to earn it. Freely by his grace. Undeserved favor. That's what grace is. Through the redemption, being redeemed back into a relationship with God, that is There it is again. It's a hundred times in the New Testament in Christ Jesus where salvation is. It is your position and not your performance. So Hebrews 3.13, you must warn each other every day. You got somebody warning you every day? Have you got somebody warning you every day? Every day are they warning you? No, wait, I don't want somebody warning me every day. I want somebody patting me on the back and make me feel good every day. You must warn each other every day. Now, why? While it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Because if you got somebody patting you on the back, telling you how good you are every day, then you're going to be deceived and hardened by sin. And then whenever hard times hit, you're like, man... Why? I thought God is good. If he's so good, then why are these bad things happening to me? I don't have any category for that if you're always telling me how good I am. See, here's the thing. Here, listen. We're just going to wrap it up on this, okay? You got to preach the gospel to you every day. And you say, well, what do you mean? The gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection? That, that's part of the gospel. But you know, the whole gospel, the whole gospel is this. See, the death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel isn't something, a one-time decision you made. The gospel is something you live every day. Okay? The gospel is, is that in and of myself, I am not good enough. But Jesus is. And my position in Christ is how I'm accepted in God's sight, not my performance as a Christian. Not that I've checked the box off, not that my church says, oh, David, you are great. You do these things. You hold office in the church or you preach, so you are great. No. Be careful judging people by their performance and or by their gift. There have been some very, so that, that church I was telling you about, New Spring Church in South Carolina that did that, so let me tell you something. That, that pastor, he's no longer the pastor of that church. And everybody was like, man, what a great, he's gifted. What a great godly guy he is. Do you know why he got removed from his church? Because he was an alcoholic and he was showing up on Sunday mornings inebriated to preach the sermon. And so the elders had to remove him from position. 
So listen, even me, don't look at me and go, wow, man, David is godly. You don't know if I'm godly or not. You know, because I'm, if I'm gifted to get up here and yell at you, that doesn't mean I'm godly. <laughs> so be careful measuring people's godliness by you looking at their gifts. Godliness is something very personal and private between us and God. It's a true surrender and humility. So get your phone out if you want to, if you want to look at this, because some of y'all are going to walk out of here and go, man, I wish I'd have wrote that down or I took a picture of that or something, because I'm fixing to give you about four verses to, so you can show you how you can preach the gospel to yourself every day, okay? So here it is. The first one is this. When I start thinking, too, that I'm so good and I'm so great and I'm on top of my game and I'm a good Christian, then it's by the grace of God I am what I am, 1 Corinthians 15.10. That brings me back to realize that, listen, Anything good in my life, it comes from God. It is God. The only way that I breathe and my heart beats is by the grace of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Period. End of the story. Ephesians 2.6, he has also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So my position in Christ Jesus is I'm already in the heavenlies. I don't perform to get there. My past tense it's a positional truth. I gotta, every, every day I got to preach that gospel to myself. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me, the life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I, um, one time somebody, they um, challenged me. They said, David, you need to go and, and read the old Puritan pastors. And so I got, I got, I just kind of read, scanned through some of them. I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's kind of hard to understand. And so, so then the other day, this past, last week, I um, got a book called The Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards, written in the mid-1700s, okay? So I thought, okay, every morning I get through with my prayer time, I'm just going to read a little bit for devotional. I literally cannot read two pages of it because I come undone. I'm like, this dude in the 17th, I mean, like, he's not trying to entertain me. He's not sugarcoating anything. He's not trying to make me feel better about myself. He's just saying, okay, you think you love Jesus, then here are the scriptures right here. This scripture, this scripture, this scripture. If you really love Jesus, then this scripture, this scripture, this scripture, this scripture. If you really love Jesus, then you're going to hate your sin and hear the scripture, scripture, scripture. And I come undone, I'm like, what has happened to us? I mean, like, that was Christianity in the 1700s, and then I got the Christianity today, and it's two different, I mean, it's like very different premises here. So don't go read the book and think, oh, it's the best book ever, because you'll read it and be like, what is David talking about? This is terrible. I mean, for where I am and this point in my, in my journey with God and understanding, I won't, like, I'm praying, you hear me say this all the time, stir my affection. I'm praying this for you too, that your affections will be stirred for Jesus. And so as he starts laying out what that really means to have an affection for Jesus, I come undone. He's, it's, it's like every morning I open this book, it's like there's a mentor there waiting for me that's so much further along than I am and saying this is what it really means. Look at this. Consider this. Romans 8.1. 
think too highly of myself. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And when I start thinking how terrible I am, then Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those. There it is again, my friend, positioned in Christ Jesus. I just got set free from works-based righteousness. I just got set free from trying to perform. I just got set free from worrying about what you think about me and knowing that God, what God knows and says about me is not based on my performance or how good I am or how, how nice I am or whatever it may be. It's all based on my position. See, Jesus is the only one good. None of us are good. That just set me free too from people in church hurting my feelings. My expectation gap just shrunk a whole lot because I'm not expecting anybody in the church to be perfect or to perform according to what I think church people should do. Man, some of you have been to church your whole life and the church has put these crushing expectations on you. When my son Andrew was born, he was born on a Saturday. He was in the hospital on Sunday, missed church. Sunday night, my pastor came by and he wouldn't even look at me and, or speak to me. So the next Wednesday night, I went to church and the sermon was all about how when his wife's dad was in the hospital, that she never missed a church service. She stayed by her dad's side every day and every night, but on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, she was in church because she loved Jesus more than she loved her dad. Blasted, man. I got blasted right there. And my pastor didn't speak for me for two weeks because I missed church on Sunday because my, my son was born on Saturday. Because the crushing expectation is if you really are a Jesus-loving super-Christian, then you will be here come hell or high water. That is crushing. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you've been in that culture before. And I don't want any part of that. So whatever your background is and you say you gotta check these boxes to be a good Christian, then I sure hope today you get set free from that. There are no boxes to be checked. It is a position to live in, in Christ Jesus, period. End of the story. I just got set free. Maybe you didn't hear it, Maybe I just preached to myself today. <laughs> Let's all stand. So how do you know if you're in Christ Jesus? This past Wednesday, I was talking to our high school students, and we talked about that. We talked about how that being in Christ Jesus 
It's, it's kind of hard to, to know. I mean, like, okay, I said a prayer, or I got baptized, I'm a church member, and, you know, the preacher told me, yeah, you're saved, you know, and all this kind of stuff, but how do I know right now in my day-to-day that I really am in Christ Jesus? Because, I mean, I mean, sometimes I think some pretty terrible things, and sometimes I do some pretty terrible, sometimes I treat people really bad, and I feel condemned. I mean, I, I see that verse up there, you know, that you got on the screen right now, but I can't help it. Sometimes, just because of the way I am, I feel condemned. So how do I know? Let me give you some things to think about. When you're in Christ Jesus, that means that you are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Does not mean you're perfect. It means you are being changed. It means that you, when you do sin, you're not condemned, but you are convicted. It means that when you come to church and you hear the truth preached, that sometimes you walk out, okay, I, didn't, I don't feel real good about myself right now, but I do realize that it's not about me being good and me being perfect. It's about me being in Christ. And I need to work through some stuff. Process. That's how I know. It's one of the ways, one of the ways that I know I'm in, then another way that I know I'm in Christ Jesus is that it changes my desires. I have a desire now to read God's word to pray, even though I may not read as much as I should or pray as much as I should, but there's a desire there. I have a desire to fellowship, to come fellowship with other believers, to worship. And I realize that when I do these things, that it changes me. It's another way that I know that I'm in Christ Jesus. So whatever your background and your experience has been, maybe you felt like you've been in bondage by the church. Maybe you feel disappointed by the church. Maybe you feel hurt by the church. Maybe you feel like let down by the church. Maybe you feel like the church did not love you. I mean, that little pitiful story I told you about the pastor they may, not, they may pale in comparison to what you've been through. Well, thank God you're here. Thank God you're watching online. God is still working in your heart. So God, would you help me to recognize my true position, am I in Christ? Am I really saved? God, I ask you to help me in my position in Christ. So, if you've been carrying a load of condemnation for your past sins, then the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The complete work of the cross means you've been completely forgiven. So God, today, I ask you to forgive me for, and you name that right there that's been bothering you. 
I ask you to grant me repentance from, and you name that. I ask you to bring life transformation into my heart, my life, by the power of the resurrection of Jesus working through me. God, help me as I leave out of here today to preach the gospel to myself, to be reminded the good news that's not about my performance. Here's another one right here. Lay before me the resources that can help me to most effectively and to efficiently to live my kingdom purpose in Christ Jesus. Maybe there's somebody else that you need to pray for. Let's pray for them. So God, I pray for, and you lift them up right now in your heart. Maybe they need salvation. You pray for God to stir in their heart. Maybe they need to live in their kingdom purpose and calling and pray for that over them. Maybe you need to forgive them. Maybe you want them to forgive you. So God, today here we still have not gotten over the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and may we never get over that. So I pray today as we leave out of here today, oh God, that you stir our affections for Jesus, that what we've learned here about the good news, the good gospel, that it would find its way deeply into our heart, oh God, and transform us. By the power and the authority of Jesus, we ask this. And you may be seated. Thank you, David. Obviously, prayer, first and foremost, is the best way to go about what I'm about to say. But if you guys, just like David mentioned, if you're wanting an accountability partner, thus far we have not set up like a shop where you stand around and you go and interview people. We're probably not going to. So, you guys, those weekly connections, that um, announcements that we're telling you guys about, whether it's a ladies group on Wednesday night, a men's breakfast on a Saturday morning, or even just um, events that we have throughout the year, in addition to home groups, those are great ways for you to come and get plugged in. Not because we want our home group numbers to grow, not because we want to cap out on an event, but because we want you to feel connected with people uh, who are like-minded. And as a matter of fact, we have our next ladies event coming up in May. I'm really excited about it. We try to have those quarterly. And if you are interested in serving on the women's ministry team, we are in need of ladies who want to come together. That does not mean you have to decorate. If you do not want to decorate, that does not mean you have to do the food. I love the food part. If it's something that you're interested in and you're not in a ministry team already, if you will either find me afterwards or shoot me an email, that's something that you can do and we can get started on that next event. 
Also, if you are a returning visitor, if you are a first-time guest, we would love if you stop at that back counter, and we have a small gift for you guys, but that's also a good place to ask some of your questions. If you are wanting to get plugged into some of those things, wanting to know about anything that you see on social media throughout the week, stop by there. There are people with smiling faces ready to answer those questions for you. And so that's all we've got for today. If you guys will stand, we'll close in prayer, and our elder Chuck Blair is going to close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful for an opportunity to be here today. Father, to hear your word. Now, Father, my prayer is that for all of us, that we would not be just hearers, but that we would seek to apply it to our lives. Father, we're grateful for salvation today. We're grateful for all that you have done and are doing and will do in this body. Father, I just pray that you would bring us back safely together next week, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.